Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast that's designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day of your life. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and the author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. As listeners to the podcast know, most of our episodes feature interesting guests who are not only interesting in their own light, but can help us to lead our own lives more enthusiastically and more effectively and in a healthy, meaningful way. That's the case today. I don't think we've ever had a guest that has as many diverse talents as John Davis, who is going to be speaking with us today. It's going to be a real treat for you. John has lived his life as an action hero. He's been a professional fight director, a stuntman for stage and screen. He's been an artistic director for three theme parks, a sword fighting comedian, which we'll have to find out something about, a motivational speaker, author, coach, executive and professor, and I'm probably missing a few things. He's been featured on the Today Show and the Discovery Channel. Since 2001, John has brought his inspirational message to 16 countries around the world, including the front lines of both Iraq and Afghanistan on six USO tours. John has done it all, and I'm so happy he's going to be sharing it with us today. John, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to meet you as well and your listener. Oh, great. So I know you've got a lot to give us, so why don't we get into it? As I said, I don't know that I've ever had a guest who has so many diverse things going on at one time, and I think... <laughs> thought maybe I'd start by finding out how you got to be you. I mean, is this something that if somebody knew you in high school, that they know, hey, this is a guy that's going to be doing all these kinds of things, or was there a progression to it? Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to be you. <laughs> well, it was, it was a strange progression, actually. I, I went to college for architecture, and the whole time I was studying architecture, I was sneaking off on the weekend and doing Renaissance festivals. And for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, a Renaissance festival means basically I was sneaking off on the weekends and wearing tights and living in the woods. But I was doing a comedy sword fighting show at Renaissance festivals. And I ended up meeting a couple of guys who were in incredible fight directors. They directed all the, the fight choreography for all the shows at the festivals. And I, I met them and they asked me to come in and do some fights with them. And what happened was at the end of the season, they both came to me. You know, when you find a passion in your life and you're doing something that you really love, the people around you will support you in the end. And these two gentlemen, I did not know it at the time, were two of the top fight directors in the world. And they individually came to me and offered me all of their training for free. And I got all of their, their training for free. And then I went off and I started directing and, and working in films and doing a lot of stage productions. I can't tell you how many times I've choreographed Shakespeare plays because some of my expertise is sword play and martial arts and fisticuffs fighting. So that's really kind of some of my expertise that took me into that direction. You've 
glossed over something quickly, uh, but the sword fighting comedy act uh, <laughs> is not your typical summer or weekend job. How? I mean, <laughs> did somebody train you for it, or how, how does that happen? Well, what was really cool, what was really cool about that was I was going off and doing the Renaissance festivals on the weekends, and, and like I said, I met those gentlemen. And when I became a fight director first, and I was doing the choreography for all the all the shows at one of the festivals, and I decided at one point that I was going to put together a comedy sword fighting show called Hack and Slash, and I played the character of Sir Nigel Hack, and I had a squire named Slash Montant, and the original script that I wrote was that I was a knight who was struck in the head with a cannonball and saw everything six inches to the left. And so the whole script and the whole show was based around the idea that my squire would make me look good all the way through the show. And in, in the end, what actually happens is the squire looks amazing and, the, you know, and I'm the bumbling oaf kind of character. It was based on a Commedia dell'arte sort of characters, Capitano and Scaramouche. But we ended up doing that, and I that show right there, Hack and Slash, was the one thing in my life that let me do most of what I do. I had started performing all over the country doing that sword fighting show, and when I was going around the country, I would always come back to the Maryland Renaissance Festival. And one day, it was, now get this, on September 8th, 2001, September 8th, 2001, I step off stage and two guys from the Pentagon walk up and say, hey, we would like you to do some USO shows. Would you, would you be interested? And we said, well, absolutely. On September 10th, we dropped our packet off at their office. And we all know what happened on September 11th. They shut everything down. And then three weeks later, they called us up and they said, can you go immediately? And of course, immediately for the military means a month or two because you have to go through shots and, and all kinds of stuff to go overseas. And so we did all of our shots and we left in November of that year on 2001 and we did military bases all across Europe as they were building up for the war. We did from November to February that year. And then we did every year for the next five years. We did a total of six USO tours, over a hundred shows in Iraq and Afghanistan on the front lines. And they would load us up in helicopters and fly us all the way out to the front lines. And when sometimes we would do shows for as little as eight soldiers because the rest of the soldiers were on guard duty protecting those eight soldiers having a show. Hmm. It, was an, it was an amazing experience. Amazing experience. And, and they always say, you know, when you're on those USO tours, they always say that, you, well, we, we take care of the people. Well, they took care of us really well. But I will tell you a, one harrowing story from the USO shows. During the war, there was a, an incident where the Shia attacked the Sunni's mosque in a town called Samara. And we flew in to the base in Samara the week after that attack. And we come in on two Black Hawk helicopters and we land the helicopters and we get out and our equipment gets out and the helicopters leave because if they leave the helicopters on the ground, they become a target. So the helicopters are now gone. And the base itself did not have a dining facility, or as they call it in the military, a defect. But they had a truck where you would go get food and you would scatter about the base and you would eat, but not together because a congregation of soldiers was a target. So we all got our food and we looked over and we saw a Humvee and we climbed up in a Humvee and we ate our lunch. And then we finished the lunch and we went and we got all of our gear on. Now, when I say gear, we would fly into Iraq and Afghanistan wearing Renaissance costumes, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> so we had like tights and the whole bit. We went, we did our whole show, we finished the whole show, and we packed up and we came back out to where the helicopters were coming. The two helicopters came in and landed. They picked up our equipment and they put it in the front helicopter. We climbed in the back helicopter and the two helicopters took off. And as they're taking off, a rocket propelled grenade went directly under the helicopter I was in and hit the Humvee I ate luncheon. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and then because we were the only helicopters in the air, we went searching for the guys. We never did find them, but that was a rather intense experience, to say the least. <laughs> the last few years, have you been leading a quieter life? Or? <laughs> well, you the quieter than that, definitely. <laughs> After doing the comedy sword fighting show, I did that show for 21 years and I loved it. It was something I really enjoyed. But I suddenly discovered that when I was doing those shows and on stage performing and getting all the laughs and everything, that I was actually having more fun after the show. Because what was happening after the show was I would go out and I would sit in the audience and I would help people reach their goals and I would help people get through their process. I, I can't tell you how many people credit me today with saving their marriages because of the, the things I said after a show. And I suddenly discovered that I, I enjoyed that kind of work more. It was more fulfilling to me. And so I said, well, I got to find a way that I can still perform and do the fun stuff that I like to do, but then also help people and have them live really fun, exciting, successful lives. And so I created my motivational speaking career, the corporate action hero. Where does that name come from? Corporate <laughs> well, I get that question a lot. Well, I chose the corporate action hero. First of all, corporate, because I work mainly for corporations. I do a lot of corporate events. Action hero is, is where it gets interesting. There's a difference between an action hero and a superhero. See, a superhero usually wears his underwear on the outside of his pants and has superpowers. Right? Whereas an action hero is an ordinary individual who creates an extraordinary result. And the word action means to create motion, to start a momentum or to do something. And the word hero is someone who achieves extraordinary results in service of others. And so when I look at what I wanna do with my life, I wanna inspire people to not only make the most of their lives, but also help others as well. That comedy show I talked about earlier, that show actually spawned the largest charity event in the Baltimore region. We actually we're able to, we raised money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Habitat for Humanity. We did a build for them. We, we collected over 20 tons of food and clothing for homeless shelters. We funded 16 global water, clean water projects. On top of that, I did a lot of work for the American Cancer Society as well. So I think that all of us have the ability within us to not only do amazing things in our lives, but to help everybody else around us as well. Must be tremendously satisfying to be able to, I mean, those are things you can actually look at and define that if you hadn't have done that, that wouldn't have gotten done. Right, right. And you know, it's the small moments that, that are really impactful because it's like, I was in Ramadi, Iraq, and I had just done a show and this Marine came up to me and he says, he says, you know, this morning I was in a firefight and this afternoon for two hours, I was able to forget all about that. That was such a huge moment for me because you know, that's why we went to alleviate the tension of those guys who were having what they called Groundhog Day. The soldiers said that every day was the same and every day you could die. 
And so being able to go there, wear tights and be funny, <laughs> gave me the opportunity to let them forget that. As a motivational speaker, what is your core message? What, what makes you different from others? And what do you get people to feel different about themselves about? I am known as the motivational speaker with a bullwhip. I actually do a, a program, and actually it's kind of interesting. It's something that's right up your alley. It's based on hacking the fight or flight response, and it's all about how you can go out there and you can achieve amazing things in your life just by getting past it. And I call it the five Fs. They're fiercely focused with faith, follow through with flexibility. And that program is really interesting because it breaks down into a lot of different various sections. And I specifically don't use a PowerPoint presentation because it kind of shuts off the brain when you turn on a PowerPoint presentation. But instead, what I do is I, I use neural anchors with the whips and the nunchucks and all those things. And like the first thing I talk about fearlessness and I bring someone up to the stage and I whip targets out of their hand. And then I say, well, why'd you come to the stage? And they say, because you asked me to. Well, it was a stage trick. I never actually asked them to come. I actually just basically walked out, made some jokes and said his name, clapped and walked the stage and he came to the stage. And I demonstrate the fact that the only reason he got up is because we created the positive environment and the positive attitude in the room first. And by creating the positive attitude, anybody in the room would have gotten up and come because they want to be involved with something positive. So that's fearlessness. Then on focus, I talk about, you know, when you're a positive person, you constantly see positive things. When you're a negative person, you see negative things. And that's because when you consciously choose something, your subconscious mind kicks in to help you achieve it. And I prove it by saying, how many of you have bought a car? And they raise their hand. And I say, how many of you chose what kind of car you wanted before you went to the store to buy it? And they raise their hand. And I say, how many of you, once you made that decision, started seeing that car everywhere? <laughs> and they they'd laugh because it's true. When you choose something, your subconscious mind kicks. I'm sure you know. I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's real important. I mean, the the positive message is something that we really try and focus on here. So another thing is, I talk about faith. And I talk about the idea of how you have to to believe in what you're achieving positively and make it a positive outlook. You know, fearlessly focus, faith, follow through, do the actions, and then flexibility. I talk about the idea of you know. When you're trying to achieve anything in your life, something is always going to come up that seems contrary to what you're trying to achieve. And it's in those moments you stay positive, you stay flexible, and you work with what comes. And that brings you the outcome. So what happens is I tell a story about Bruce Lee, a real story about how he achieved so many things in his life just by staying focused on the outcome and flexible. And then I do a really fancy nunchuck routine, which you know the audience loves. And the last thing I do, and this is the most important thing I do, it's so impactful, especially for the person I bring to the stage. I bring them to the stage and I tell them, I'm going to have you demonstrate that these five Fs work. And I ask them if they've ever been fishing before. And they say, yes. And I say, well, I'm going to teach you a new way to cast a fishing rod. And I hand them a bullwhip. And in five minutes time, they learn to crack the bullwhip and take targets out of my hand just by keeping them positive the entire way through, keeping them out of fear, keeping them out of negativity, keeping them in a positive state. And what happens is I have done this, this performance thousands of times. I have been hit once. And 
the guy who hit me, and it was the only guy that I've chosen. Every other one's been a woman, and they are much better at the whip than the guy. So <laughs> as the guy walked to the stage, his boss said, I think this guy's going to get hit. So like, yeah, I really can't blame I really can't blame the guy because I think he just was just following orders. <laughs> that really takes positive motivation on your part to hold that target out that many times. <laughs> well, I've hit myself so many times I don't have much feeling left in my hands. <laughs> so given all the things you do, what do you do when you go to work each day? I mean, what's a, what's a, what's a work day like for, for a guy like you? In the old days, a work day would be very gruesome and I would get up and I would fight and I would cover myself with fake blood and I would do all kinds of fight scenes and, you know, train actors how to smack themselves with bottles or smack others with bottles and do all that. Nowadays, it's actually an amazing experience for me because I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I meditate (laughs) and I just get myself into a positive frame. And then my job right now is to come up with positive, motivating things to say to people. I put out a video a day on positivity. I have a YouTube channel. I also use, I have a vlog on my website, the corporateactionhero.com. And my job right now is to constantly be coming up with motivation. And so it keeps me in a very positive state all the time. And then what happens is I talk to clients and then the clients are all like, well, we have this problem, this problem, this problem. And I'm reading their negativity. And then I, I come back with positive solutions. And then I go to their event and I do a really funny routine that shows them how they all can break past their negativity and achieve more. I call it claiming the interaction. At the end of the show, I yell to the audience, are you guys action heroes or reaction zeros? And they all yell action heroes and they scream and holler and yell. It's really a really a fun experience. I love I love what I do for a living now. Yeah, it sounds like it's really rewarding and it's a great job at it. Well, let me challenge you a little bit in this regard, because this is being recorded as we're dealing with the effects of COVID-19, one of which is the fact that some people aren't going to continue working in the job that they had counted on. Some have lost significant amounts financially. In various ways, some people have to start over or adjust to a new normal that isn't quite going the way that they had planned. Got any words of of advice for them? Yeah, the first thing I would say is remember that when you set a a goal for your future, you don't have to go to it. It's going to come to you. It's going to come to you. And the way that comes to you is by making small present moment successes. And those small moments build upon each other. And the thing that I would say to you at a time like this, when you're struggling like that, you know, we have the, I guess it's the opportunity to to become negative because of what's going on around us. But when you're doing those small moments and you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going for this goal. I'm going to do this small thing today. If one of those small things gets messed up, you know, don't beat yourself up about it because that's just wasting the next moment, you know? Let those small little successes build upon each other. And when they build upon each other, you're going you're gonna to see that future success come to you. And when it comes to it's going to be really interesting because you're in your conscious moment. It's the only moment you have. And when you experience that big successful outcome that you're going for, it's going to be in your present moment. And so don't struggle with going to it. The vast giant picture never magically appears. It comes to you when you do the small little tiny things. So just take your time, 
Do the small things correctly and easily and move forward and you'll get there. Yeah, moving forward, uh, I guess, is really the key, and also accepting the fact that this this is a process. That I mean, it is absolutely process. Something that doesn't necessarily happen overnight, any more than getting to where they got to before COVID nineteen did, didn't happen overnight either. So, one of the important things is that it just like water. If water is is in a river and it's flowing, it's filled with oxygen, it's teeming with life, and it's vibrant. The second that water stops moving, it becomes stagnant and the mosquitoes start to put eggs in it and it becomes poisonous water. You have to keep moving. You have to keep doing something to be vibrant and alive. Life is about motion. And so stay in motion. Just do the small little things. And one day you might only feel like doing one little thing. It's emotion. You know, one day you might want to do 10 things and that'd be great. Yeah, that's awesome advice. It's easy to see how you accomplished as much as you have over <laughs> over this time. I'm going to ask for your advice to another group of listeners. Although we encompass quite a well, the full age range among our listeners, some people got to us by my book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. And for at least a number of them, they don't necessarily bring enthusiasm to the situation. They've, you know, kind of spent a good chunk of their life committing to their work, raising their family and so on, and now reach a point where they they figure they're in kind of the, the second half or whatever, the second half century of life. I think it can be a fabulous time. I think it's something that if you approach it with enthusiasm, as I said in, in the back cover of my book, if I knew how much fun old age would be, I'd have grown older faster. But wondering in terms of some practical advice for somebody who's approaching it, maybe doesn't have a ton of hobbies or outside interests because, again, they've been working on their family, their job, and so on, and then they reach this time. And face it, for many people, they're going to live a good number of years. How can we be enthusiastic and productive from your point of view? The first thing I think you have to do is realize that that past that you just finished was that part of your life. So a lot of people come to this point where they start to retire and they think it's the end of their life and they start to decline. And if you think of it more along the lines of a chapter in a book, how many more chapters do you want to write? Because you're the one writing the book, right? So you can go off and you can do anything at this point. You know, it's, there's a moment in your life where you have to decide whether you're going to be positive or negative. And, you know, the words we use that, that come out of our mouth basically tell us what our subconscious is believing. And, you know, I always hear people saying, wanting, needing, hoping, trying. And I always say, those are dirty words <laughs> because none of them are active in the present moment. How about creating, enjoying, having a good time, traveling, you know, doing, doing things that you want to do and, and, and seeing and experiencing new things. Back when I was a, early in the days of becoming a flight director and a stuntman, I, that was my goal to become a stuntman. And I stepped into a van to help a friend of mine move a box of clay. He was a professional potter. He made beautiful pottery. And I stepped in there and I picked up an 80-pound box of clay and I turned. And when I turned, my upper body separated from my lower body. And they hauled me to the hospital and they informed me that I had a condition called spina bifida occulta, which is three of the vertebrae right above my pelvis never formed properly at birth. And that day when I did that extra 80 pounds of weight in that box and twisted, my upper body 
literally twisted off the, my spine, twisted in half. And they took me to the hospital and I ended up in traction. And they told me, John, you're, you're never going to be a fight director. You're never going to be a stuntman. You're never going to have a physical career. And that was the end for me. That was the end of what I was, could do with my life. Three years later, I did my first three-story high fall off of a tower. And after that, I did over 4,000 comedy sword fighting shows just because I'd made a different choice. That's fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of times when you hear motivational speakers or others, you kind of wonder, you know, are they just good speakers or, you know, have they experienced things in life? Having that kind of injury and overcoming it. It was life-defining. It was life-defining. That's the important part about the people who are moving forward with another part of their life is they get to define what their life is. It can be an end or it can be a beginning. What's the definition you're writing? Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I'm glad glad you shared that thinking with us. About the only thing I, in your resume, I hadn't asked about, you did teach college at one point. (laughs) College professor, how did how did that come about? <laughs> what, and what did you teach? Presumably, <laughs> sword fighting. But, uh... well, well, actually, I taught sword fighting to actors. What happened was, you know, I'm a firm believer that when we make conscious choices, our subconscious mind will kick in and help us achieve it. Well, I had decided when I moved to Ohio, my son moved to Ohio with my ex-wife, and I moved to Ohio to be with him, to be near him. And since I was in Ohio, I decided, well, I, sh- I should get something that can keep me in Ohio a little bit more rather than traveling all over the world doing sword fighting shows. And I decided that I was going to teach college. Now, <laughs> it was very interesting because I didn't put any applications in anywhere. And I got hired to do fights for a, a play up in Cleveland. And I came in and did fights and had a really great lead actor. And I thought he was a really good guy. And I taught him some great sword fights. At the end of the, the play, he comes to me and says, you know, John, I'm the, I'm the dean of theater at Oberlin College. Would you be interested in teaching a master class? I said, sure, that'd be great. So I, I came out and I taught a simple master class. He says, well, I, I asked you to teach the master class so I could teach your teaching style. You want a semester? And I stayed there for eight years. <laughs> Still going off doing my speeches and everything, but I was teaching as I was a professor at Oberlin College. <laughs> well, listening to the way you present, it's not hard to picture you being a really, really good and interesting teacher. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. One of the problems with these podcasts is that we eventually run out of time. And <laughs> I think we've reached that point, but not before. I know you've inspired lots of people both before coming on the podcast, but now on the podcast. If somebody wants to be influenced by you, what are the avenues to, to do that? Do they, they have to go to one of your shows or are you online? Are there ways that people can <laughs> learn from you from the comfort of their home? There's lots of ways, actually. If they go to corporateactionhero.com, underneath where it says learn about John, there's a vlog on there. I put videos on there regularly. I have a YouTube channel, and I put up videos on there regularly. In fact, I've put up one every day for the past like three or four weeks now. Also, in July, I'm about to launch a whole series of Interaction Hero programs 
that will be on my site as well. I'm going to release them on, on July 4th because I call, I call it your Independence Day. On that, I'm going to have a lot of subconscious meditation tapes and all so you can break through your inner, inner demons and self-doubts. So there'll be a lot of those on there. There'll be a lot of courses on there, things of that nature. And if you go to that site, you're going to find all kinds of free stuff on there as well, just free videos and, and all kinds of information. And if you know corporations who really want to see a great motivational speaker, hi, <laughs> it's me. I'm <laughs> a corporate action here. <laughs> that was going to be my next question is if somebody wants to book you, they go to the same site? Absolutely. There's places right on that site that you can contact me directly. CorporateActionHero.com. Okay, great. With a name like John Davis, I'm glad that there's another way they can reach you. Because I, that is the most generic name in the world, isn't it? <laughs> but, but I know you're the John Davis, but maybe. It's interesting. There, right now, there's three or four John Davis motivational speakers, but I'm the one with the whip. <laughs> what I said, you're the John Davis. <laughs> By the way, we will be putting out in the show notes how to contact John. So those of you who are listening in the car and aren't going to do anything unsafe and all that, we will have it in the show notes and you can always listen to the podcast again. So John, this has been, you know, an absolute delight. I knew it would be. I learned <laughs> a lot and got entertained in the process. Oh, well, that's good. That's, that's the job. <laughs> Thanks very much for for coming on to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast that helps you lead your life enthusiastically. And if you can't gain something about enthusiasm from John Davis, then you, you've got a job to do on yourself. So <laughs> I hope you'll all listen, tell friends about it, download it, rate it, and be back for the next podcast when we'll have another very interesting guest. And this is Dr. Ron Kaiser. Podcast is Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. My website is thementalhealthgym.com. And my book, if you haven't gotten it, is Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. We thank John Davis, the John Davis, for spending <laughs> this time with us. And best of luck to you, John. Best of continued success. Stay healthy, stay safe, and everybody else out there. We'll see you next time. <laughs>